Hello, hello. Thank you for tuning in. It's this week's NTT20 podcast, the Monday pod, where we look back at the EFL weekend. We are Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. And this podcast is sponsored by the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Today's pod will be mostly championship chat and touching a little more in depth on certain teams that we may have overlooked so far this season because they are bang in the middle of the table. But there will be other bits as well, touching on the League One and League Two results from the weekend and the news that Phil Parkinson has been sacked as Sunderland manager. Before we get into the action, George, I've teased a few times over the last few weeks that the Skybet EFL Rewards app predictor game is about to get exceedingly interesting and it's time to reveal why we are so excited about this in the month of December. Yeah, huge, huge news with the Skybet EFL Rewards app and the predictor element of it as well because December sees all change. For every round of fixtures in December starting this midweek, it's Monday today, the most correct predictions in that round has a chance of winning thousand pounds so if you have the most correct predictions in the win draw win aspect you'll win a grand the opportunity is in every single round of december fixtures starting this week and if there is a tie at the top then it goes into a prize draw so free to download free to enter if you think you know your football you know your efl and you predict the most scores correctly you'll win a grand thousand pounds that'd be Quite a good little booster before Christmas, I'd say. And don't get me wrong, George and I will be gunning for the rewards as well. I have chosen League Two as the league whose fixtures I will predict the results of. George, of course, will be in League One. That's the league he thinks he knows best. This is for every single game week in December, and there are many of them. The cash rewards are courtesy of Skybet. This is for selected EFL fixtures between the 1st of December, starting on Tuesday, to the 29th of December. You have to be 18 or over to play, uh, and further T's and C's do apply. So download the Skybet EFL Rewards app and get involved throughout the month of December. George, time to look back at the weekend. What a weekend it was. We're going to go in-depth into plenty of the championship results and plenty championship sides as well. I think an arbitrary place to start will be to choose the two sides who have won both league games since we spoke last Monday. Those teams are Blackburn, who beat Barnsley 2-1, and Brentford, who beat QPR 2-1. Both of them tight games, I think it's fair to say. Let's start with with Blackburn-Barnsley. And I want to start with Barnsley because, to all intents and purposes, this seemed like a pretty good performance from them. Barnsley's high press, which we know well, disrupted Blackburn, made it difficult for them to play out. And Barnsley themselves created a few good chances. But... I was pleased to see Blackburn win this game from their perspective because, George, one of the things we've wanted to see is them win games where they are tested. They've had too many games this season, despite a lot of praise for their attacking play, where in tight games, they haven't done the business. And in many of their wins, they've been helped by red cards for the opposition. So just from a Blackburn perspective, to see them moving up the table and winning a tight game against another good side who had 11 men on the pitch, uh, it was a, a very good win for a Rover side and a good week for them. Yeah, I mean, I think Blackburn were kind of Blackburned here um, because even though they dominated possession, as we've come to expect from this Blackburn side so far this season, they do control games in that respect. I mean, Barnsley were so efficient at creating chances. The shot count was 23-7 in Barnsley's favour. And and these aren't just pot shots. You look at the shot maps as well. Like They created multiple, multiple opportunities. and, And you can understand why... Valerian Ismail, the the Barnsley manager, said after the game that he was 
very very happy with the performance you know they if they can you know we've, we've associated Barnsley certainly with that kind of aggressive off the ball style which he mentioned but generally also being a team who like to to kind of retain possession if possible but that wasn't the case here they were very happy to to basically try and be a bit more direct in possession get the ball forward early and try and get the ball into the final third whenever possible and it really really worked I mean, the, the the two moments of quality in the game were the ones that decided it it was a brilliant Adam Armstrong finish mm. and and I think Sam Gallagher's goal is one of those kind of underrated screamers where because it went low and along the ground it won't be seen as being an amazing goal but actually the technique and the way yeah. he hit it with the outside of his boot Beautiful. the way it started outside the post kissed the wet turf before just going into the the inside corner um was was really impressive and and those were the moments that won it for for for, for Blackburn mm. but in terms of, of two sides you know Barnsley being beaten on both occasions this mid this week against Brentford and Blackburn um but if anything given I wasn't necessarily too taken with the performances in the early Ishmael wins. It kind of felt like that classic old kind of variance here where a side who'd been on the receiving end of lots of, of tight calls and lots of tight games losing suddenly you're on the receiving end of a couple of things that went their way and getting the wins. The process now and the football that Ishmael is putting in place seems to be really wholly positive. And, you know, naught points from the two games might look bad on paper, but... Barnsley is certainly being held in a higher esteem for me now than they were a week ago. And I really don't want us to start taking Adam Armstrong's finishing and goal scoring for granted because the numbers are incredible this season. I mean, he he, he could get towards breaking records if he keeps this up. And the way that he's playing and the fact that he's not, you know, the fact that the underlying numbers back up the fact that he's not just scoring with every shot. He is getting into good areas constantly, taking a ton of shots and the finish... Well, it shows you everything you need to know about Armstrong as a goal scorer. Absolutely magnificent. A nice assist from, from Ryan Nyambi as well. He's absolutely lightning, isn't he? Getting to the byline and cutting that ball back. Um, Brentford 2, QPR 1 on Friday night, George. Uh, what did you make of this one? Brentford, the victors in a derby game. That's all that really matters. The scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect how the game went, nor did the game necessarily play out how many, including us, sort of expected it to play out. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I guess so. I think it kind of went to script in terms of what we expect from from QPR, um, a side who will often flatter to deceive somewhat with some really nice combination play going forward, with some really good individual performances, especially here from from Bright Say Samuel. Um, but at the end of the day, those moments being in kind of isolation around a game where they end up walking away with absolutely nothing. Mm. Um, I think that they were unlucky in some aspects. I think Sorensen clearly should have been sent off for Brentford late in the first half. I think they were fortunate in others where, you know, Ivan Tony scored a goal that, that probably should have stood at one all. It didn't kind of matter at the end. Um, but for Brentford's, I think we are, whether it's by design or not, this Brentford side are very, very different to the Brentford sides that we've seen in the past. They still do have, of course, some quality attacking players. I mean, Tony's goals are showing that. And, and you know, even though he came off at halftime, De Silva's obviously a very, very um, a mercurial talent, you can say, in midfield. And Marconde is also a ball player. But they don't press anymore. They're a team who are now happy out of possession. The reason why they were so good defensively, it felt for, for a long time last season, was that they controlled games. You know, they they were the team who were always on the offensive. They were competent um, defending the counter. Whereas now they seem 
basically happy to, to sit off teams and try and pick them off. Um, this may not get the headlines that BMW and the like got last season, but it might actually be kind of a better blueprint for success yeah. going forward because it's very rare that teams get promoted from this league without a, a very, very solid defensive unit. And, and that's something they've definitely got now. They weren't in any way convincing here, I didn't think. Um, they never looked like they were kind of head and shoulders above this QPR side. But at the same time, it, it was fairly comfortable. Um, but we should give, you know, I mentioned it earlier, I say Samuel's assist for Dykes' goal was... One of the best. Just Yeah, just absolutely incredible. The, the strength, the pace, the awareness, and then the quality to put the ball in uh, and a fantastic finish from Dykes as well. I think that's his first goal from open play this season. Correct, um, certainly in the league. And then he missed quite mm. a similar-ish chance at the back post with his left foot later on yes. in the game, which which yeah. we would have liked to have seen him finish. Um, my only real notable, uh, on top of what you've said, I was quite excited to see Force come on and play off the left. I've spoken about it a couple of times on the pod. Um, I, I, it might be a bit fanciful, but I just I want to see if they can develop his game, which from what we've seen so far is pure goal getter. But there's no slot for him in this team at the moment. I don't think they should just change the whole system to get him up top with Tony. But I think playing him off the left, a, a space where at the moment there's no one who's grabbing it with both hands, even if he's not that comfortable linking play and in possession in, in the way that their wide players normally are. I just think there's there's hopefully ways to b both develop his game and make him a better all-round player, but also get him close to Tony. He can play very, very narrow, can let Henry provide the width and to Silver drifting out into the left half space as well. And if you've got a player who has that knack for getting in areas and who finishes chances well, then I think it could be a nice addition to the side. So it was only a, it was only a substitute appearance. And don't get me wrong, he didn't look that comfortable. But with their player development record, I would like to see that for the rest of the season. Because, look, he's not going to budge Tony. And I don't think that he should budge Tony at the moment. So it's, a, it's just a way at the moment of trying to make the most of such an exciting young player who last week, as we said, the likes of Dortmund are, are looking at. And it could raise his ceiling as well if he can improve a, a, away from mm. just being a pure goal scorer, even though that could be more than enough to, uh, to, to get him to the very top eventually. Um, let's move on. Watford 4, Preston 1. Uh, we're going to talk about the two big winners of the weekend. That was Cardiff beating Luton 4-0 and Watford beating Preston 4-1. This came off the back of a, a pretty poor performance from Watford in midweek, but a nil-all draw at Bristol City. And, and the theme seems to be Watford's poor performances don't tend to result in defeats. Um, mm. They seem to be able to avoid defeat even when you're watching this team and you know there's more to come. Well, you hope there's more to come because you, you think there should be more to come. And I guess that's a it's a it's a good sign to an extent that they're not losing the games even if we don't think they're playing that well. But this is what we need to see more of, right? If they are to to establish themselves as an automatic promotion contender, which is where they are at the moment in the table. But if they are to to have the longevity to to stick up there with the top teams, this is the sort of performance that needs to become the norm. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it, it's wholly unsustainable to be a side who, no matter what the the old adage says, to be a side who who plays poorly and avoids defeat. If you if you play poorly too often, and that trend continues, you're going to end up. You know, it's a different thing to maybe not being necessarily at your best and picking up wins. You know, they they quite clearly were having issues defensively. They haven't been as prolific as they should be given the attacking talents that they've got. I mean, this to me seemed like a game where the merits of Troy Deeney became very obvious. Um, despite his faux pas on the radio um, in the last 24 hours, which will be what <clears throat> the reason why Troy Deeney is making headlines today on the pitch. He, you know, it was his first start of the season. 
Vladimir Ivic has been very, very keen to use João Pedro from the start. Andre Gray's come into the side recently to less than rave reviews, it's fair to say. Um, but Dini has been excellent. You know, he provided the assist for Chalaba's goal. He, he put the ball in for the penalty as well. His presence up front, he missed a, a very easy chance to get a second goal of the game. And I think it's easy to forget that, you know, of all these players, of all the kind of the, the headline stars such as, as Saar, uh, Dini's the one, again, where, you know, he shouldn't be playing championship football. He's a guy who's, who's he's a proven Premier League striker. Mm. And he adds a lot more than than just um, kind of attacking quality. He And it's almost in a similar way to what I was talking about, Akinfenwa and what he brought to Wickham. Like his presence up front just gives him a whole other dimension. And especially if you are Ishmael Assar, if you're, if you're Kina, if you're Ngaki, if you're these wide players, and you've been looking forward to a sublime talent in Jao Pedro and Andre Gray looking to run in behind. It's very different to have someone like Dini who you can literally put balls into and expect him to hold off defenders and hold the ball up and win headers. And it may not be as attractive or as, you know, as exciting as as having all these ball carriers. But we've often said with Watford, you know, they're a side who set up defensively and have players who can carry the ball forward. But that's kind of quite... It's quite one-dimensional. Mm. Um, it feels to me that Dini's arrival on the scene and in the team is going to be pretty transformative for this side. And it's a shame for Preston that they were the first team to be on the receiving end of it. Yeah, and it was bad timing for Preston to play a football match just in general, given the injuries and suspensions they have at the moment, the absences. They played this game with Scott Sinclair and Tom Barkhazen as wingbacks in a in a 3-5-2, which says it all really, that, that they're very light in certain areas. And... It's been a bad week for them, of course. They were thrashed in their in, in one of their derby games against Blackburn, which would have hurt a lot. Uh, first half red card plus penalty kind of put paid to, to whatever might have happened there. But they were bef- they were poor even before then. And then obviously this is something of a thrashing as well. So there's, there's quite a lot of... There's quite a lot of angst amongst the fan base, as you can imagine. Um, and it, it's really difficult to know ex- exactly where to stand on this. There, there are a certain amount of people within the fan base saying that they think Alex Neal... Um, you know, might be past his sell-by date in this job, that things might be going a little stale. I, I, I'm I, sort of loath to buy into that. Um, it, it hasn't been good this season. Let's be very clear about that. Preston have lost a lot of games. And, and, and one of the things we've always said about them previously is they're very awkward to play against and very difficult to beat. Now, that's not been the case this season. Eight defeats in their 14 games uh, and five wins and just one draw has them on on 16 points from 14 games uh, and it's difficult I think everyone understands even those who are angry with Neil understands that you know as backing goes financial backing from a chairman from an owner um, he, he is slightly working with a hand tied behind his back I don't think things are desperate when it comes to North End but I could see why after quite a lot of development over the last few years why now it feels like they might have hit a bit of a wall now whether you think changing the manager is the thing to improve that or whether you think that there might just be a bit of an organic wall based on budgets and based on what they can or can't do in the transfer market then that's that's a sort of that that depends on where you stand with how to improve your football club but it's an interesting time at the moment for for Preston and they're clearly in a very very bad spell and and uh yeah I don't think it's panic stations but certainly one to watch I think Preston over the next few weeks Mm. um Cardiff beat Luton 4-0 now I really want to give them a lot of credit here but Neil Harris said in the post-match interview, it could have been eight or nine. I mean, and, that was unbelievable. And you know that's my least favourite phrase in the game. 
apart from Big Club and Momentum and all those other ones. Oh, you're such a Scrooge. You hate everything. It could have been eight why, or nine. Why do you work in football? Imagine if it was eight or nine nil. That would have been absolutely unbelievable. I also really liked it that he said that Luton got away with one. <laughs> yeah. They'd just been beat four nil, Neil. I, I mean, I, I understand his frustration because what's also quite funny is that in, in defending his... Um, record at Cardiff this season. He was alluding to to XG and XG tables and all this stuff. So if anybody should know that, you know, eight or nine. I mean, I'm looking. I'm I'm, I'm looking right now. I'm on the Info Goal site. I'm going to have a look at the, the XG shot map, and I'm just hoping it's going to say like nine point two. <laughs> yeah, two point five three zero point one four. Neil, I'm afraid you cannot use XG to 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 defend your um you know your position, and then after beating a team four nil. So overperforming by a goal and a half as to as to what the supremacy should be, and then come out and claim that Luton got away with one. Well, let, uh, let's recognise the it. fact. Let's recognise the fact that realistically, this was Neil Harris letting off some steam and finally being able to do yes. so after a positive result because yeah, one yeah, yeah. win in eight before, and a lot of pressure being applied to him. This felt similar to their other recent win against Barnsley, in the sense that when Cardiff are bang at it and when they start with intensity and when they are straight into their game plan, which is to exploit the size and height that they have at times, you have to be bang at it as well. You have to start well if you're an opposition team. And just like Barnsley the other day, who weren't at it to start with and just lost that game immediately, basically, because they weren't they weren't up for the fight. You know, that is a cliche, but I think it's I think it rings true here. And Luton, I'm afraid, I <laughs> On the betting show, I said, I'm confident that Luton in any game, especially seemingly away from home, will at least turn up and will at least match the opposition for intensity and character and those sorts of intangibles. And that wasn't the case at all here. It started off early on with a corner swing being swung in and your centre-back, Sonny Bradley. I, I personally, George, would rather my centre-back used his strength to rise and head the ball away rather than to try and hit the deck, try and win a free kick after a little bump in the box. That that's that's my personal opinion. I know that <laughs> I know that often they do win those free kicks, but that was not ideal and Morrison put them ahead and, and not long after that, you've got Ojo scampering down the left wing. You've got three players out wide, sort of I mean, I was going to say putting pressure on him, but there was no pressure being applied. They were just standing near him, not stopping the cross. A few more defenders in the box, letting the youngster Mark Harris take a touch and fire home. So uh, as much as this was much needed for Cardiff, an impressive uh, execution of the game plan and a number of players playing very well and good to see Kiefer Moore on the score sheet as well. This was a, a really poor performance from their opposition. And so that was a, 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 a good timing for Harris to have a team turn up and not turn up, I guess, so to speak. Uh, and just shout out to Mark Harris, 21-year-old through the academy at Cardiff. He's been on a few loans. And it's one of those where he I remember him being very highly rated a couple of years ago. He went to Newport where he was quite popular. Uh, and then he went somewhere else in League Two, which has slipped my mind. And last season he was with Wrexham. So he'd actually dropped down a division from the previous loan spell, which on paper never reflects that well, does it? If you're if you're no. having to drop down a level rather than drop up a level. But Port Vale it was that he was at. There you go. Port Vale where he really fell out of favour um and came and was sent and was sent back in January. So to see him getting an opportunity and taking it well looked really lively. He's obviously been part of the Wales youth setup, so he's well known around the place and I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. Uh, George on Luton, we haven't spoken about them too much on Monday pods. They seem to time all their draws for weekend games. Um, mm. But we said we would talk more, a little more in depth this week without too much League One and League Two action. What have you made of Luton Town's start to the season? <laughs> they are yeah. currently in 12th place with 19 points from 14 <clears throat> games. 
I mean, it feels like a very bad time to be talking about a, a side who've done. I mean, I'm not having a go at you, mate. Don't worry, I can see you looking hurt on the camera. But it's uh, it, it's it's harsh because they've had a brilliant start to the season. Um, there's no denying that. It's it's another case where maybe because of their their fast start, fans will not be happy um, at the way that they were beaten on the weekend. Uh, I think it's only one win from their last seven, but mm. for Luton, surely it is still a case, irrespective of how they started the season. It's got to be a case of of staying up as the aim and anything, you know, finishing just outside the relegation zone on goal difference would be a job well done for Nathan Jones. That has to be it. So much damage it felt was done to that club and that squad last season by when Nathan Jones left and by his replacement. Um, and, you know, just because they started so well and they, you know, we said at the time that the, the break that they were scoring at, their shot conversion was just so high. It was unlikely to continue. And um, they've got a, a tricky couple of games coming up. They've got Norwich and Swansea as their next two. So it's fair to not assume, but fair to predict that that run without a win may continue. But no, you know, no need to panic at all for them. I would say Nathan Jones has certainly improved them and, uh, and restored some pride uh, at Luton. Um, and then a big game, a big game coming up in in just over a week against Coventry, where you know that that'll be the the kind of test for them to to show that they are still above those relegated relegation threatened sides. Reading beat Bristol City three one on the weekend, and well, there's a few individuals to talk about as ever with Reading. Uh, this was another game in which we are pretty excited about Michael Olise. Um, yep, he got a beautiful assist in midweek. I think for Lucas Zhao it was. And then on the weekend, he got another beautiful assist for Mete uh, and a few other really nice bits and bobs. Um, he, he's on five yards. I know you guys have heard us talk about it before and you may have seen that it launched just at the back end of, of last week. I'm expecting him to be one of the most popular championship players on there, that's for sure, just because his ceiling is so high and we saw it in, in, in all facets of this game. We saw how dangerous he is in transition because he can carry the ball so well and because his passing range and vision is so good. But he's also dangerous against a low block side. That assist in midweek was a good um, a, a good example of that. And he's got the eye for, for a killer pass and the quality to execute it as well. So look, he already looks like Reading's most creative player, which at age seven, uh, 18, rather, is just absolutely astonishing. And, and I think, you know, even if you leave Ajaria out of this, I think if you've got Mete and Joao ahead of Elise, you're likely to score some goals. So it's a great position mm. for Reading to be in, I must say. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. This was Reading's best performance of the season, um, in my opinion. And, and taking all context out of it, nothing to do with the fact they've been through a poor run of form, nothing to do with them needing this win um, at all. They came up against the Bristol City side who are you know, around where they are in the table, who, who may not also be a great form either, but have proven this season they're a decent championship side and they just completely, completely wiped the floor of them. Again, shot count here, 21-4. So I can't make any quips about Reading scoring with their only shots or anything like that. Um, Yakumete missed an open goal with a header as well to to further put the damage on. And I think this is just, it's just one of those occasions where you've got two sides playing against each other. One has basically kept the other one completely at arm's length. I know they conceded a goal. It's a scrappy goal as well from Naki Wells, but completely at arm's length whilst also creating all the chances, even though kind of the possession metrics were the same. Um, you know, they, Ajaria, Elise, Zhao and Meite were just way too much yeah. for, for this Bristol City team to handle. So, you know, I was confident in saying a few weeks ago when Reading were top of the league, you know, this was a side who were not the best team in the, in the division. If they put a run of form together where they dominate teams in the, in the way they did here, 
because they've got enough points on the board that it won't take very much for them to to return to the summit. Mm-hmm. You know, this was this was effectively a different side. This wasn't a return to form. This was a massive, massive step up from Vyko Panovic and his team. And it was good to see Tom Holmes playing well again. He's obviously through the academy there and there's just so much good work has been done at the Reading Academy over the last, well, an awfully long period of time because it's not just the players that have stepped up to the first team and they've consistently had first team players from the academy, but also the amount of good professional players dotted around League One and League Two as well. Many of them now coming back up to the championship. Dickie is a good example of that, of course. Um, so that was really good to see. He, he might not have the technical quality and the and the flair of Estevez, who, who came with a big reputation, but certainly when it comes to an appetite for defending, he, he, uh, he certainly ticks that box where Estevez maybe didn't. Uh, and just before we move on, got to have another nod to Lucas Schrau. One of, the, mm. one of the things you said at the start of the season, which is so still so spot on, is that we just haven't seen him stay fit for long enough to be able to say he's the best striker in the league or one of the best strikers in the league, purely down to not being on the pitch. And I, I've looked back at... He's been in England for over five years now. He's been in this league for over five years now. And he's always been undermined by injuries. Prior to this season... The most starts he's ever had in a championship season is 18. 18 out of a possible really? 46. He's Amazing. never he's never reached 2,000 minutes in a season. Now, there are 4,000 or just more than 4,000 minutes in a full season. So he's never played even 50% of the league minutes in a season. And, and this season, he's halfway there um, already after just over a quarter of the season. And I'm praying he stays fit because when he is fit... He's proving that he's such a handful. 0.6 goals and assists per 90 over his whole time in the league proves that. And it's obviously higher this season. And yeah, just praying that he stays fit because he he is one of the best strikers in the league this season. It's a bit sad for him that he's got Armstrong and Tony scoring at the rate they are. But just in terms of an all-round prospect, you know, it's not just goals as well for Joao, but he's such such an awkward customer for defences and in really good form, of course. Bristol City, such injuries at the back, which is just... It's frustrating because it means that I don't really want to have any strong opinions about them. And, and I think it also, it basically means I'm, I'm actually impressed that they're still where they are in sixth place with 24 points mm. from 14 games. So I haven't got anything too critical to say about Bristol City. It's hard to know how much they will improve when players come back. If, if they do improve when, te- when players come back, then they should be an established playoff chaser. I think at the moment, I've probably got them rated in the sort of 7th to 10th mark, um, just below where they are. That's in their current guys, though. But when you've got a, a back three of like... I think it was Rowe, Viner and more, and you're missing like Callas and people like that, then uh, obviously yeah. big absences. Uh, entertaining game of the weekend involved Middlesbrough, uh, probably for the first time ever. They, <laughs> they had seen seven goals total for and against in eight games before last week. Then they won 3-0 against Derby in midweek and they lost 3-2 uh, this weekend to Huddersfield. Warnock obviously starting early on the mulled wine this Christmas season um, <laughs> because his side, are, I mean, they haven't been very Warnocky in the last week or so and they were they were defeated here, conceded a goal on the counter-attack, which just seems like <sighs> the, the most unborough under Warnock thing of all time. Yes, yeah, I think you're probably... I mean, I, I would say the midweek win over, over Derby was pretty Warnocky because Derby yeah. basically couldn't get near them yeah. all game and, and they just finished their chances for once. Um, but yeah, this was... Strange. I mean, the weather at Huddersfield was absolutely foul. So I don't know if that had anything to do with this kind of strange, um, this strange events. But then at the same time with Huddersfield, I know their their home form hasn't been great this season. But <clears throat> we've said plenty of times, you know, the good 
bits of Huddersfield this season has been their attacking play. Yeah. And you know, Josh Caroma was the was the match winner here. He has looked, you know, he's come on a hell of a lot from last season and and, and looks like a, a brilliant young championship striker now. Carol Lighting scored the first goal, another player who just oozes quality for them. So, you know, this may not have gone by the form book, but in terms of the characteristics of a Huddersfield side, you know, conceding goals, conceding chances, but looking very, very good the other end, um, it kind of went as we expected. I guess the reasons why Middlesbrough conceded, you know, Iting's goal was was a, a good finish from outside the area, so you can't really legislate for that. Karoma's goal as well was a very, very well-taken effort. Um, I mean, I don't think Borough and, and Neil Warnock will be too um, gutted. Well, no, they will be gutted, they won't be too concerned. You know, the good teams lose games, it happens. It's a, it's, I'd say it's a bigger win for Huddersfield because... Despite, you know, early on in the season, for the first few games, Huddersfield looked very, very poor. And then they improved. And it felt like they were they were kind of on an upward charge. And then in the last few weeks, there's been a regression. So to, to score three against the meanest defence in the league, to kind of be pegged back to two all with, with five minutes to go and, and to grab a winner, um, it just feels like this will give Huddersfield, you know, a big old boost. But I wouldn't, um, yeah, I wouldn't expect suddenly Borough games to become end-to-end goal fests i think this might be the uh, the anomaly uh, back to back to what we expect against swansea on on wednesday i reckon and as the weeks go by the more remarkable it is that carol lighting is playing in the championship um i tweeted a picture or rather i quote tweeted a, a picture from scouted football uh, of mm. him with his two best mates and basically his, his sort of classmates his teammates throughout the Ajax Youth Academy system, uh, Frankie de Jong and Matisse de Ligt. And looking back, I mean, two years ago, around now, or just over two years ago, the year that Ajax reached the Champions League final and those two players became global superstars, Iting was playing in the Champions League qualifiers for Ajax and performing yeah. well. He played in an early group game as well and then picked up a knee injury. And I think, you know, the trajectories of those players over time it has not gone well for Iting, and I think there were more so than with those two who were who were basically sculpted out of stone, aren't they? Um, yeah. I think with Iting there was question marks over his robustness in senior football, and the knee injury didn't help. Of course, those always take they take your confidence away in so many ways as well. So it's it's awesome that we're being able to see him grow into senior football and get his confidence back because he's such a, a brilliant player and a good bit of loan placement from Ajax to put him um, with Corberan and Huddersfield given the way that they play and uh, a very, very enjoyable Karoma uh, as all, uh, is another one in Huddersfield who we didn't expect what we're seeing from this season and it's been a really good bit of development sort of in front of our eyes. Karoma now just a, a genuine regular goal threat at this level uh, and mm. probably Huddersfield's number one goal threat as well. Sheffield Wednesday, no. Nottingham Forest nil, Swansea won. The, the last non-drawn game to talk about. Uh, this was a 1-0 win for Swansea, which was not vintage by any means. But they never seem... It's not that they shut down the game completely, but they were probably more comfortable after they went 1-0 up than they were at 0-0. Now, that that reflects pretty poorly on Nottingham Forest, who we'll come in onto into a second, uh, in a second. But I think it reflects pretty well on Swansea. One of the themes of them this season, George, is that they just seem fairly comfortable when it comes to defending a lead. And, you know, in, in a league where there's not a lot between a lot of sides, if they are one of the top teams and they're very comfortable when they're ahead and they're very comfortable defensively, then you have to say out of the teams that didn't come down from the Premier League last season, they continue to look like one of, if not the most impressive. 
Yeah, they do. They do. I mean, as you kind of alluded to there, it, it wasn't kind of plain sailing this for Swansea, especially in the first half. Mm. Um, if anything, Forrest probably looked the more likely to score. Yeah. I, I'd, it's up for debate whether or not Swansea's com- you know, comfort in the second half was more down to their uh, strong defensive work or down to a Forest side who have never at any stage this season looked particularly good offensively and and have a manager in, in Chris Hewton who isn't necessarily known for that. Now, I'm getting a little bit concerned about Forest here. I, I think it's it's the easy, you know, it's the easy thing is to, when a manager like Chris Hewton comes in, to think, right, okay, well, that's the end of that. Forest going to be fine now, especially after they had back-to-back home wins against Coventry and Wickham. Although, again, let's caveat that by saying it, it was Coventry and Wickham. If you take those those games out, they've been like, wretched, effectively. They, they've lost their last three games, haven't scored in any of them against Barnsley, Bournemouth and Swansea. They go up against um, their next four games are home to Watford midweek then they go to Reading on the weekend then they go to Norwich then they play Brentford at home so they're playing four of the top six or seven sides in the league at the moment in the next four games I, I, I can't really see where the improvement comes from because we you know why why would we see it now he's he's had the five or six games you know we, we've said so many times on the pod like you know i think we can expect forest we're not too worried about forest i think we can expect them to improve i'm suddenly thinking why why is it that easy just to say Hewton comes in they get better there's no evidence on the pitch and even though it looked you know i was thinking after half an hour on sat on uh, on sunday right okay here we go maybe this is it but then just the inability to get back into the game from 1-0 down was almost as troubling as anything else. Um, you know, I've got a lot of time for Hewton. I, I really, you know, respect what he's done in the game. Absolutely. But there just seems to be, it happened with Simon Grayson as well. These certain managers who, who've had a couple of good jobs seem to get this aura of, you know, you bring him in, everything's going to be okay. And, and that's just not the way that football really works here. Um, so I'm just expressing some concern for them maybe because of the fixture that's coming up but um but yeah i mean you as you say swansea are impressive in the way they manage games but if anything to me this was more just a, like Poh. you're one nil down at home here for 45 minutes against a side who you were able to, to to create against in the first half like where's the where's the fight where's the ability to to wrestle some way back into this game because we didn't see it the Sheffield Wednesday nil, Stoke nil. Uh, we've seen three games of Pulis ball so far, and it's, it's certainly, yeah, it's certainly what we expected. I think it's fair to say um, Pulis building this Sheffield Wednesday's team from the back, uh, which is is exactly what his mo is. Uh, the problem is they haven't scored a goal in those three games, and one of them they were down to ten men for the majority of it. They lost that one to Preston. Since then, nil nil draws against Stoke and Swansea, and. I am going to flag up that they've only had two shots on target in three games and they were both in the game against Swansea, but they've only conceded seven. That's very impressive numbers defensively. And let's be quite clear, objectively, the draws against Stoke and Swansea, two good sides for the level, are good results for a Sheffield Wednesday side that haven't picked up too many points this season. But... They are going to have to find a way to win football matches as well, and to and and to basically try and and create some superiority against other sides. You know, if they can't do it against the the top 
10 sides in the division, then they're going to have to do it against some of the ones around them. And, and in the next few weeks, they've got Reading and Norwich and Huddersfield. All of them will pose different problems. It doesn't get easier for them. And you have to say that even, even if I think that the last two results are objectively good results in isolation, they need to get a win in those three, don't they? Ideally two wins. Because if Pulis starts winless in four or five or six games, as it could be, that's going to increase the tension so much. And that's when his methods will start getting questioned immediately. And that's when things could get pretty ugly. So it, it's a funny one. I'm sort of positive to an extent because I think that the results are fine in the last week or so since we last spoke about Sheffield Wednesday. But they really do need to start actually winning football matches, taking shots, mm. putting shots on target, scoring goals, ideally. Uh, Derby won, Wickham won. Uh, this was, well, let's rewind to last Monday. We spoke about how it was a strange dynamic between Rooney and Rossinia as co-joint interim caretaker managers. And in yeah. the end, Rossinia was moved aside and Rooney given full charge. Everyone agreed, said Rooney, that this was the right thing to do, that, that it should be just one voice giving players instructions, dropping players, bringing players into the team, that sort of thing. So it was Rooney. Um, he was on the touchline. He didn't pick himself for the game. He wanted to see the game from the touchline. He even said it could be, it could be, you know, he might have played his last ever game as a player, which would be quite sad. But let's talk about Rooney, the manager, a game against Wickham in which a beleaguered derby were 1-0 up and clearly the better side for an hour, but couldn't hold on, didn't get ahead by two and let Wickham back in the game for a one-all draw. Yeah, it was kind of a weird a weird game where Derby looked for the first half just so much improved. And I'm not, you know, anybody who listens to the betting show, I'm not having it, but you'll just say, oh, well, it's, against, it's home against Wickham. There should be much improved because Wickham have given decent sides in the last few weeks serious problems and serious issues. Um. It was interesting as well to note another kind of tweak in the way they were playing. I think partly maybe because of the way that Wickham looked to, to press them, but Derby weren't retaining the ball in deep areas as we've seen in the past. They weren't necessarily so possession heavy. They were looking to get the ball forward early and into Kazim Richards, who, who had a very good game, it's fair to say. Um, and they were the dominant side for the most part. But again, kind of similar to what we were saying with Nottingham Forests. Where was the composure? Where was the ability to see out to see out that win? Mm. Um, not only did they concede a, an incredibly scrappy goal, which I don't think you can necessarily kind of legislate for, um, it was then Gareth McCleary who rattled the crossbar in the in the 90th minute to nearly give Wickham all three points, which would have been undeserved. It's fair to say, um, although you know, again with Wickham, it's fair to say that most of their points are going to come in this way. They're going to be smashing grabs because of their means of playing, but. Um, yeah, I mean, some positives for Derby. And I like the way that Rooney spoke after the game. He was pretty measured and he, he kind of expressed similar sentiments as you and I, which was the first half, yep, good, should have seen the game off. And in, in the end, wasn't good enough at all. Mm. Um, I, I personally hope he gets the job, I think, um, because I think it would be interesting. I think he is someone who quite clearly, despite his kind of celebrity and his history, is keen to do it and wants to, to take a step into football management. Um, but I feel like they need, given the, the uncertainty in the dugout, given the uncertainty in the boardroom, this all should be resolved as soon as possible because at the moment they're a club treading water. They've, you know, they've, they haven't beaten the team who are expected by most to come bottom of the championship at home here. Uh, I think they need to know where they stand going forward. It's going to be very hard to, to move forward. Interesting. 
Interesting, interesting. I want to shout out uh, a couple of Wiccan players. Firstly, Allsop, who made a magnificent save in the first half, and Onya Dinmer, who made a magnificent goal line clearance. Both of those allowed Wickham to stay in the game when they weren't playing well and allowed them the, the chance to get back into the game later on. And it was Matt Bloomfield who scored in an 18th consecutive season for Wickham Wanderers. The excitement on his face, even as uh, certainly a veteran, I think it's fair to say, was just... Ah, it was infectious and I was absolutely thrilled for him. He's been one of the great servants to an EFL mm. club along with your Coppingers and your Lewingtons uh, <laughs> and 18 consecutive seasons to score in absolutely brilliant. So well done him. It was the worst goal probably he's ever scored uh, and it won't matter one jot. But a big one. Uh, yeah. Let's just finish the championship with a couple of draws to touch on. Uh, I'll take Norwich Coventry. You take Rotherham Bournemouth. Uh, Norwich Coventry pre-game this was all about how concerned both sets of fans were about who they were missing. And when we asked for the Friday um, first 11 predictions on Twitter, we had a lot of Norwich fans saying like, give Coventry the win now, we're missing all of our <laughs> players. And we had a lot of Coventry fans saying, we're at the bare bones, everyone's knackered, give Norwich the win now. So I think one all is probably the right result in the end. Norwich obviously had one senior player on the bench and then youngsters. They had no strikers fit. Or Buendia, who was suspended, so they had Steeperman up top and, and probably predictably plenty of possession, mostly in their own half, not much focal point. And uh, and despite going 1-0 up to a penalty that I didn't think should have been given, um, Coventry came back into the game. They were able to bring on some more established players. I mean, I can't believe that Amadou Bakayoko is starting games in the championship. That sort of speaks to their, <laughs> to their issues. He's their fourth choice striker behind Godden and Walker and Biamu, and there he was. Uh, and it was actually Biamu who came off the bench to score the equaliser. Uh, and I want to say well done to Ben Wilson in goal for Coventry. I have to admit, this is a bit of a blind spot for me, and I don't mean to be rude to Ben Wilson, but I assumed he was really young. I assumed maybe a, an academy graduate because I just didn't recognise the name. He's come into the team because Morosi fractured his eye socket the other day against Cardiff uh, right wow. at the end of that game in midweek. And it was Wilson's first league start for Coventry. He made a great double save at 0-0. He gave away a penalty, which for me was never a penalty. I thought it was good, strong goalkeeping. And I didn't actually think the referee could probably see what had happened because there were quite a few players in the way. So I looked into Ben Wilson, thinking he was a youngster. He's 28. He's 28 and he is just a career backup or even third choice goalkeeper Why not? in League One and League Two. He's played 17 League One games, eight League Two games and now five championship games for six teams over six seasons. And I'm just, in I'm always interested in that. Is, is there any way that that is by design or is it just purely by luck that you're always considered second or third choice? If um, it's by design, you've got to be absolutely gutted when you get called up like lads this is not what i signed up for i don't want to play <laughs> do you think if it's by design is that just potentially like you've got loads of other hobbies and being a footballer allows you to explore them uh to their fullest and yeah, you know you're just uh, you're just good enough to be a professional backup goalkeeper mm -hmm. anyway I, i'd like to see more of him i mean they've signed do you know who they've signed to to fill the gap of morosi mm -hmm. lee camp Wow. He camps in on a wow. free. So, you know, okay. I think Wilson should be starting the next game, certainly. Uh, I would like to see him playing over camp, but maybe he doesn't fancy it. We don't know. George, what about Rotherham Bournemouth? This one was a, a, a pretty entertaining affair, ending 2-2. Yeah, it was. And, and again, it, it, it played into what we've spoken about before because Bournemouth were not convincing in this one at all. I mean, that's not surprising. They were 2-1 down and had to, and had to score a... And equalised to get it back to two all, but Rotherham created loads of chances. Ladapo got the two goals, 
Um, and there still just is a feeling with me that, that despite Bournemouth's good form and, and you know, they, they don't get beaten very often, the, the manner of the performance is similar to Watford really, just isn't necessarily of the dominant nature that you'd expect from, you know, you look at the two teams on here and, you know, Paul Warren deserves a medal, a trophy for getting his side competing, going toe for toe and, and you know, effectively probably putting in the better performance than a Bournemouth side with, with the players they have at their disposal. There's just a reliance on individual quality at times um, from Bournemouth in order to get them out of that. Um, you know, I'm seeing people now saying Bournemouth really look like they're they're coming to the fore. And, and of course, if you look at the league table, that is true. But this game just served as a both to show me that Rotherham are clearly, at least at home, their away record, not so much, but at home are a side who have to be taken very seriously and will cause teams problems and are going to be good defensively. But I, I'm just, I still feel like a bad run is around the corner for this Bournemouth side unless something changes. Um, you know, the, the Watford performance and result on, on the weekend was the first sign I've seen of like, right, OK, this Watford side can do this. I'm yet to see that so far from Bournemouth. Well, I just like the fact that Asmir Begovic and Paul Warren were teammates at Yeovil in 2000, <laughs> 2008. Amazing. Um, and Begovic had a brilliant game. And Amazing. basically was the reason Bournemouth took a point rather than potentially zero points. And um, Birmingham nil, Millwall nil. This was bound to happen, wasn't it? Because mm. last week we were, we were so aware that we haven't really spoken about Birmingham in depth on this podcast. And we probably haven't spoken that much about Millwall in depth on this podcast this season. And, you know, we would justify it by saying that the results haven't really merited it. And the league table position hasn't really merited it either for praise or for great criticism either. Um, so it was kind of inevitable that they were going to draw nil-nil the week that we said we would talk a lot about Birmingham and Millwall. So um, let's leave the game to one side and take a look at, at both sides in general. Um, Birmingham are 17th in the table. They got 16 points from 14 games. Uh, they've only scored 10 in 14 and they've only conceded 12 in 14. So yes, Aitor Karanka has predictably made them very, very good at the back. And that is so far what's sort of propping them up. Fairly comfortable, I would say, six points above the relegation zone at the moment, although they haven't won in five games. And it's just a it's a bit of a bizarre situation, I think, at Blues. Um I thought Karanka was a good appointment, certainly uh, a, a, an upgrade on Pep Clotet. I can certainly understand why fans are getting pretty bored of paying £10 to watch their team play on iFollow because there is a real reticence to attack. And like, like managers have a philosophy and there's absolutely no reason why your philosophy should be like really attacking and should put the onus on attacking play. But we spoke the other week. I actually think in this championship campaign, it's really important that you have ways to attack sides because mm. there are a lot of good defensive sides and the games are really, really tight. And I think they're really lacking that at the moment. And I sort of, I give him the benefit of the doubt because Karenka says that it's coming, that things will improve. You often hear that around this stage of the season, but we're, you know, we're, we're 14 games in. There's not a huge amount of training time for you to put many other plans into place. And he seems so set on a certain defensive structure that it's hard to it's hard to imagine him changing that, which is working as a defensive structure, let's be clear, mm. um, in order to go more attacking. At the same time, they're signing Alan Halilovic, a diminutive Croatian number 10, making it maybe four or five of that type of player that they have in the squad, only one or two of which is playing any sort of minutes at any given time. And I just can't imagine that Karanka has gone, please, board, can I have Alan Halilovic on a free, please? 
because I can really get the best out of him. Like it, it feels like I, I can't I can't say this for sure, but it, it feels like he's been sort of given Halilovic rather than asking for it. And it's a bit like forcing like pistachios on someone with a nut allergy. You're kind of like, well, <laughs> that's kind, but I can't I I can't physically have that. Like I can't use that. So you can't you cannot tell me that Karanka wanted Halilovic, even though the signing announcement video is my favourite I've ever seen. Um, and even though Halilovic has on his footballing CV Barcelona and, and AC Milan, even if he didn't play for either of them, I'm excited that Halilovic is a championship player, but I just can't see how Karanka gets him to work. So look, I'm, I'm not enjoying watching Blues games at the moment. I think they're good enough to stay up because I think Karanka is good enough at one side of the game, but I would love to see a bit more attacking intent and hopefully we see that. Before I move on from Blues and ask you about Millwall, Sunjic, Six yellow cards in 12 games. Absolutely elite ability to pick up yellows. I wish Ben Pearson had been fitter so that we could really have a bit like Tony and Armstrong in the goal scoring charts. I'd like a proper yellow card battle between Sunjic and and Ben Pearson. What what would you like to say about Blues and or Millwall? Well, I think you've covered off Blues pretty well there. Thanks. Um, I mean, with Millwall, it, it kind of feels like a bit of a shame that after such a good start last season with Gary Rowett, it kind of feels like they're regressing into the Rowett sides that we have spoken about in the past. Five um, five draws in a row, eight overall yeah. in 14 games. They've scored, you know, they've scored 12 in, in 14. They've conceded 10. Um, it just it feels very difficult for a side playing the way that they do with such caution. Like they're going to be anything but in between... 10th and 14th come the end of the season um I'm sure you know Gary Rowett I'm sure will know this I'm sure he's he, he's he would be keen to to have a side scoring more goals but um yeah I I, I don't think I'd be I'd be buying a, a Millwall I follow pass for a game anytime soon um it's it's not great to see mm, absolutely well there you go eight draws in 14 that's a surefire way not to get talked about very often on the NTG yes. 20 pod and genuine apologies to, to both sets of fans because I know it's probably quite annoying but um, not a ton to say sadly um, just a reminder before we talk about other bits and bobs from the weekend to, to use the Skybet EFL rewards app not just to play the predictor in December but also to check in when you're watching your team's game you can do it from anywhere it takes 30 seconds and then once you've checked in you can play the spinner and you might end up winning some prizes they could be a, a match streaming pass so you could watch the likes of Millwall and Birmingham for free if you win a match streaming pass rather than spending a tenner uh, on iFollow. Or it could be a signed shirt, seeing loads of people um, really chuffed with the signed shirts that they've won, getting them framed and sticking up and uh, sticking them up on the wall. And, and that's great to see. So yeah, we're going to talk more about the predictor, uh, but make sure that you're also using the Skybet EFL Rewards Act to check in for your team's games. Uh, George, now it's going to get ugly for a little while because in League One this weekend, the big result was Oxford 1, Swindon Town 2. Swindon beating Oxford for the first time since 2001. That's a long time. That is a long time for their fans to wait. That's a long time where you've lived in relative comfort and uh, it, it, it probably couldn't have been more sickening the way that it panned out. <laughs> yeah, this was... I'm, I'm normally pretty good at uh, getting over games, right? I mean, I... I have a life away from football and I normally when Oxford lose pretty quickly, I can be like, right, that's okay. The, 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 the exceptions have been cup games and play, playoff games in defeat. 
this was the first time in a league game where I just <clears throat> I was in such a funk afterwards um, because and I'm very happy that I didn't tweet my thoughts on the game at half time. I saw some Oxford fans did because I was thinking to myself like if I was a Swindon fan watching this, I'd be livid. Mm. I was like, there's, there's only one team who seemingly knows this is a this is a, a derby. There's only one team in this showing any quality, but. You know, football is a game of two halves, Ali, and, and the second half was 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 as abject a performance as I've seen from an Oxford side in a long time. And, mm. and sometimes, you know, you have to. Swindon fans will be thinking to themselves, you know, you've got to give us credit, and you do. Um, I, I think you have to ask what John Sheridan was doing with his with his with his team, um, his starting lineup, because through both injury and then subs in the second half, it was the players who came on who changed the game. Jaisini was a threat down the left when he came on. Jack Payne was um, much, much better. And, and, and Matt Smith's performance improved alongside Payne as they started to have more possession. Broadbent came off the bench and got the goal playing up front. Um, but... that That's sorry. That is what this is all about. Like, that is... What, like, putting aside the fact that you support Oxford, from my perspective, as a neutral, that's what this game is about. And that's what makes this game stand out. Broadbent, who's probably Swindon's fourth choice centre back, who mm. I think's only started one other game this season, has barely got on the pitch, gets brought on and chucked up top because nothing's working for Swindon. They just they're not getting going. They're one nil down and they need something. And I mean, I'm giving him the second goal as well. By the way, like I can't see any evidence. Yeah, that, yeah I agree. That I Tyler agree. Smith actually touched that. So let's mm. upgrade this story from what it actually is at the moment, which is Broadbent changed the game, scored the equaliser, set up the winner. I think Broadbent scores both goals in the first derby win since 2001, a centre-back playing up top. The first one sort of hooking it in over his shoulder and then the second one just a flick on that goes all the way in because uh, Eastwood is sort of just doesn't deal with it. And Broadbent made a big block at the end to sort of secure the victory as well. That That's, that is the big story. That's, I mean, you've spoken and, and, and how you described the way the game panned out is completely right. And it was just a complete sucker punch. And that's what, you know, that's the beauty of football. I'm afraid you're on the wrong side of it there, but Absolutely, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. But Broadbent is the hero here. But I, I've, I've very rarely ever seen, especially without fans there, ever seen nerves take hold of a performance the way that it did with Oxford. Like nothing was coming off. The ball was bouncing off players. There was no co no control in the game at all. Um, the subs who came on, and this, and this has to go down to, um, to Carl Robinson. You look at the players, he brought off. James Henry, who was captaining the side after an hour. He brought off Jordan Abita, you know, a, a guy who's played a lot of football at the championship level, who's playing really well, to take off senior pros and replace them with the likes of Dan Aji and Mide Shadipo, guys who are coming up in the game who probably never played in a match of this kind of domestic importance. And it was, was bizarre. Man of the match on the day was, was you know, the Swindon goalkeeper. Um Kovar. And he made, yeah, Kovar made a brilliant save from Matt Taylor in the first half, a very good save from Jordan Abita in the first half, and then a save from Josh Ruffles in the second. Um, but this, I mean, the only thing I can say that I've been telling myself as an Oxford fan is, you know, this is now, this needs fixing pretty quickly. You know, I've had messages from from tweets from Swindon fans over the past few days, all in, in pretty good, pretty good um, humour saying, you know, I hope you enjoyed your dominance over us. As far as I'm concerned, Oxford is still like streets ahead of this Swindon side. And, you know, we'll have an opportunity to put this right both in March at the county ground and in terms of where the two clubs finish this season. So, 
you know, a rivalry, um, you know, I would do anything to go back and, and pause the clock on 85 minutes and not have to live that five minutes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the opportunity to uh, to return the favour. Love it. That's what it's all about. And also in League One, Ipswich nil, Charlton 2. Uh, you spoke on last Monday's podcast about how many Ipswich fans were specifically asking you not to get carried away by by their results on paper, essentially. Um, and you said, actually, in this instance, I'm very happy to listen to Ipswich fans and take their word for it. Uh, and then they went and lost 3-0 to Hull in midweek, 2-0 <laughs> <laughs> to Charlton on the weekend. Uh, and it, it feels like that slide that happened last season might be happening again. Um, it, it's absolutely remarkable, I must say, um, how how similar it seems to last season. I'm not sure... I'm not sure what's on the horizon there. I'm not feeling very positive about it. And they might look up to the northeast. They might look at Sunderland parting company with Phil Parkinson, and they might they might draw some some similarities between that. Uh, Sunderland sacking Phil Parkinson on Sunday. They sort of buried it, didn't they, during a very busy afternoon of, of Premier League action. I think it was during the Chelsea Spurs game. I don't know if they did that um, sort of knowingly, but <laughs> but he's gone, Parkinson. And well, we spoke pretty at length about this last week. Um, and I spoke about how I think you give him the Doncaster and the Fleetwood games, and if you don't get three, four, six points from those, then maybe you make a change and, and give the new manager the slightly easier fixtures ahead, uh, which are Wigan and Burton, two teams in the relegation zone. And, you know, they, they, they chucked away two leads in the space of four days, and that was that. So Parkinson's gone. Uh, I want to know from you uh, if you have any, any thoughts that you didn't mention last week and your reaction to it, but also thoughts on a potential successor things are all a bit up in the air with a, a takeover as well there are a number of mm. a number of key roles at the club that aren't filled but there will be someone making a decision uh, and I'd be interested to know who you'd go for it's tough I, I feel like um, Sunderland are almost a club unto themselves if that makes sense I feel like the because they are a club who who have much higher expectations of where they should be and because they have a huge fan base and because you know, they are at a low ebb at the moment. <clears throat> I don't think this job is for anyone. Um, I think that the demands are higher, rightly or wrongly. Um, I, I still think that Phil Parkinson probably in time maybe would have taken them out of the division. But to be frank, that doesn't really matter. That's that's basically irrelevant here because the fans no longer wanted him to be their manager. And that when that relationship breaks down, it gets pretty nasty. So I think when you're looking at uh, who should take over next... It has to be somebody who won't fall foul to that same fate. It has to be somebody who, um, you know, who who the fans either have an affinity towards or somebody who they will be able to warm to. For that kind of reason, you know, you're looking at somebody like, I think Danny Cowley would be a magnificent appointment for anybody at this level, personally. Um, But will Sunderland fans appreciate two guys who've never played the game who are you know a southerners whose record at, at the only you know who recently left a, a job at Huddersfield I'm not necessarily sure they would be afforded the time that some that some others maybe would Paul Cook for example is somebody who you know maybe is more in line with what Sunderland fans would expect their manager to to be Gus Poye is the early favorite and there's been a lot of talk that he's been sounded out he's somebody who the, the fans quite clearly have an affinity towards I do not in any way think that he would be the best man for this job at all, despite the fact that he's obviously 
had some success as a manager in the past. It's tough. It's tough. It's not an easy one mm. to for the, for the owners to make the right decision for. Um, I think purely from a footballing perspective, I do think the Cowleys would be the best. But yeah, I think it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how they get on or how or, or who they go for. I should say. The, the funny thing is, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with having really high expectations for your manager and setting their remit very very high. You know, difficult mm. difficulty level very very high i've spoken before about how salford run their club and the expectations they have for their managers being so much higher than anyone else at their level to the point that it rubs people up the wrong way when they make changes but if that's the way that you do things and if you're consistent with it and if you communicate that well to the manager and if you can be confident that you're giving them the right tools to succeed then it's fine like that's absolutely fine to have those standards and therefore it's fine I think for Sunderland especially in League One to have those standards both the club and the fan base for whoever's in charge where they're falling down is they're not giving their managers the the, the foundation and the structure to su- succeed at the moment and therefore I think there's a small a very very small percentage of managers who you can be very confident could walk in and, and do a good job. And for me, it's just all points to Paul Cook. And the only thing for me is, does Paul Cook want to take over Sunderland? It's very hard to second guess the way that people think. He probably would prefer to be managing in the championship where he was last and was doing an objectively magnificent job with Wigan. But he might look at it as an amazing opportunity for him and a great chance to be in the championship um, pretty shortly. And I really believe that he could breathe life into the club as a personality breathe more just intent attacking intent into the team because that's the way that his teams play you know yeah. that he's also a rigid manager in the way that he plays by the way he is a 4-2-3-1 merchant all the way but mm. thankfully there's a little bit more attacking intent and a little bit more attacking zeal whether they've got the squad for it at the moment I'm not 100% sure but I'm confident someone can work something out with that group of players if they can get them fit and, and motivated and pulling in the right direction. So from my perspective, it's just full steam ahead for Paul Cook. I know what you're saying about the Cowleys, but I basically agree with what you said about I'm just not sure it's the right fit on a personality basis uh, for them. And and for me, it all points towards Cook. So let's see. Let's see if he fancies it. Let's see if they fancy him. I can't wait to see who they go for. In League Two this weekend, George, uh, Bolton have made it four wins in a row since we last spoke. Um, we knew that they were playing Scunthorpe and Southend. We knew that they were likely to win those games or they were at, they would at least head into them very confident and strong favourites. And they did win both of those games and that's four wins in a row flying up the table. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see if they can continue because then they become a very different prospect than they were a month ago. But I want to ask you about Leighton Orient. And specifically, I want to know if Leighton Orient are legit because <laughs> they're in the playoff places. They've played a game or some or a game more or two games more than many of the teams around them, but they started the season with five points from six games. They've got nineteen points from their last nine games, over two points per game, over a nine game period. Thank you to, to listener Matthew Gamble for flagging up those stats. Pretty impressive. And they're now at the right end of the table. So it's interesting because we we probably haven't mentioned them as a team that we rate in the top seven, let's say in the division in a division where we think there are quite a lot of decent sides for the level. Um, but there they are in, in sixth. So what do we think? Yeah. It's hard to say. I'm not, I'm not going to hang my hat on them being a playoff side. I, I do like them. And I think they've, you know, I think when Wilkinson and, and Danny Johnson, they've got two um, attacking players who I really like. I think in Dan Happer, they have a, a centre-back who is also destined for for big things. They, they kind of lived on the edge here against Port Vale. Port Vale will probably feel like they had 
enough chances to win the game. And then if he decided we're going to go on and win it after Christian Montano's goal, by the way, oh. that's oh. one of the that's one of the best goals we've seen so far this season. Which yeah. probably will I don't know how many people stayed tuned to the Quest highlights on on uh, <laughs> on the weekend into all the way to League Two, given there weren't very many games. I did too. Michelle Owen doing a fantastic job, um, but. Yeah, Port Vale probably would have felt they would decide more likely to go forward and win it. Um, they created plenty of chances in the game. Um, but as you know, Port Vale's issue over the last year or so has been goal scoring. They got two here and for once it was their defence that let them down. Um, and they've now lost five in a row. So I think the answer here is more concern for Port Vale, although maybe some signs, some green shoots around this performance, at least from an attacking point of view. But for Orient, you know, that's normally this is how away wins are going to come. It's going to be especially against sides like Port Vale, it's going to be pretty dicey, but just trying to get over the line. And they managed it. Um, and off the back of three wins, they're going to feel confident they can press on. I'm, but I'm, I'm still not necessarily convinced that they are a side who we're going to see move further up from, the, from their position at the moment. They're certainly on a real hot streak when it comes to finishing. Um, only Cambridge is scoring with a, a higher percentage of their shots. 16.3 for Orient, 16.7 for Cambridge. These are very high percentages, which generally aren't stretched out over the course of a season. So we might expect a little regression in terms of their finishing. But, I mean, Danny Johnson looks like an absolute gun finisher, doesn't he? And, and Wilkinson as well. So it could be that, you know, that they've got the players who are on the, the goal-scoring form to maintain that for, for some way yet. I mean, the, the data does not back Leighton Orient to, to stick around in the top seven, even if you just use the, the last eight games where obviously they've picked up a lot of points. Uh, it doesn't necessarily support them being a, a a team dominant enough and creating enough chances plus restricting the opposition to, to sort of sustain results over a long period of time. But with confidence and with players in form breeds more confidence and more yes, players. Yes, that is, that is the saying. In form. So there you go. They have got a lot of match winners, don't they? Going forward, Brophy uh, got the winner. Uh, we've mentioned, I mean, the fact they've got Maguire Drew on, uh, mostly off the bench is, is testament to the strength and depth that they have. And Joby McEnough is just such a magnificent veteran, isn't he? Uh, and playing so well. So lots to like about Orient. I think the, uh, the final response is not convinced that they've, that they've got the, uh, the wherewithal to stick around in the top seven, but certainly mm. enjoying watching them play at the moment. Mm. And I just want to shout out Stevenage who, who got through in their FA, in their FA cup game against Hull. And this might backfire completely, but I just think this could be something of a catalyst for them. Uh, I think this could be, I, I hope we'll look back at this game and this win, even if it was on penalties uh, as a moment where Stevenage improved, because we've spoken about their historically bad chance conversion numbers, not just this season, but for the whole of last season as well. And the, the fact that we do buy into this, the statistical stuff, the data stuff means that like we're sure that they have to be a little bit better than, than what their results suggest, but they've won five of their last 50 league two matches, which is insane. And, it may coming. it may seem basic, but when you're trying to put your finger on how bad things are, especially you know if you think that a team is just having the worst run imaginable in front of goal, then these sorts of wins, even if they're in the cup, I think could breathe confidence into this side. The confidence that comes from winning matches and progressing, especially ones they weren't expected to get through in, and hopefully that confidence can can be reflected in some some better finishing. And and I, I still think it could be a good moment for them. So shout out to Stevenage. Shout out to nine League Two sides still in the FA Cup as the draw is made on Monday night, hoping for some tasty ties. Tuesday night, Tuesday night rather. Um, and also plenty of non-league teams in there as well. Uh, Marine, obviously, in the eighth tier. 
They've already won seven games in the FA Cup this season and let's hope they get a plum draw and Chorley as well, who are my favourites because they sing that Adele song in the dressing room after every game. And it's so Cre- Creepy Chorley. So little of that makes sense and yet it feels so good. And just before we go, George, we had a tip-off from friend of the pod, Mark Langdon of the Racing Post. And I'm so glad we did, right? Mm-hmm. In Italy, okay. Good start. Udinese specifically. Yeah. Manager Luca Gotti, coronavirus breakout. Oh, no. He's had to miss the game. Poor bloke. Who steps up his assistant manager in the dugout for their game against Lazio, one of the best teams in the division? Surely. Gabriele. Surely it's not wake up and smell the. Gabriele, wake up and smell the choffy. <laughs> steps into the dugout. He probably yeah. was probably already there, but steps into the to the senior position of manager just for the day. Does the business three one win against Lazio? Amazing. We are all Udinese fans now. I will be going on the website and ordering some merch imminently. Uh, George, <laughs> thank you so much for the pod today. The most important thing to take away from the last part of this pod is not Gabriele Choffi being a genius in Serie A, but actually to head to your app store, get the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Download it and enter your predictions for the midweek action because, George, December is a lively one on the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Yeah, it absolutely is the chance to win a £1,000. £1,000 free to enter every single game week, every single game round, I should say, in the Skybet EFL through December. Download the app, enter the predictor for absolutely free, win, draw, win, the person with the best predictions, who does the best predictions, will win £1,000. And if there's a tie at the top, if we have a number of people who have got the top score, then there will be a prize draw performed by the guys at Skybet to find one winner. The cash rewards are courtesy of Skybet. This is for selected fixtures from the 1st of December, that is Tuesday, until the 29th of December. You have to be 18 or over to play, and further T and Cs apply please do get involved. That's the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Thank you for listening to the pod this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. Let us know at NTT20pod if there's anything you'd like to say. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll talk again in the second half of the week.